Back when I was a seminarian, I was assigned one summer to a parish out in the further reaches of Fairfax County. One of the things I did was to teach the youth group a short course in apologetics. During one of my lectures, I made reference to the gospel passage that we just read about a household being divided against itself, about children being divided against their parents. Afterwards, one of the young women who was about 14 or 15 years old told me that Jesus's words here had always bothered her. She really loved her parents and she couldn't imagine why Jesus would want to sow division in a household. Now, I know it's hard to believe, all you parents of teenagers, that there really is a teenager out there who loves her parents. <laughs> but she isn't the only one. Most likely, yours do too. It's one of the more common things I hear teens say in the confessional, that they really do love their parents. They just have a hard time expressing it or acting like it. Interestingly, later on that summer, this same passage from Luke's Gospel came up in the Sunday readings. After Mass, I was talking to a middle-aged woman who told me that this was her favorite Bible verse. I asked her why. She said that she had had very dysfunctional parents who had treated her very badly growing up. And so Jesus' words made her feel that it was okay not to love her parents. Unfortunately, both the younger and the older woman misunderstood the words of our Savior. To interpret the Bible, we have to differentiate between statements that are prescriptive versus those that are descriptive. Prescriptive passages are those in which we, as the readers or hearers, are told how we should behave or what the ideal state of affairs is in a given situation from God's perspective. By contrast, descriptive biblical statements, insofar as they are uttered by God or those who are, at, are speaking on God's behalf, tell us how people, by and large, actually will behave given our fallen nature. Thus, for example, Jesus famously said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should also love one another. Now, of course, many of us Christians fail to live out this commandment fully. Jesus gives it not as a description about how we will actually behave in all cases, but as a prescription of how we should. By contrast, Jesus also said to Simon Peter, Amen, I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Clearly, Jesus is not instructing his foremost apostle to deny him. He's simply pointing out what he knows Peter will, in fact, do. That's not to say that it's always easy to differentiate between prescriptive and descriptive passages in the Bible. The problem comes from the fact that God, and hence Jesus, are omniscient, having perfect foreknowledge, foreknowledge of all the choices that you or I or anyone will make in the future. This foreknowledge, or more precisely, this knowledge of all things simultaneously that comes from the perspective of eternity does not contradict our free will. We still choose to act, even if God knows what it is that we will choose to do. Yet because God knows exactly what it is that we will do, he often speaks of future events and human choices as given, which can sound as though he is approving a given state of affairs, 
when in fact he is simply recognizing it. This is compounded by the fact that Christ himself frames his own actions according to the actions of others. For example, scripture says that he was sent to die on the cross in order to redeem the world from sin. Yet that in no way lessens the culpability of the Roman and Jewish leaders who made the free choice to crucify an innocent man. In the gospel passage from today, Jesus is simply recognizing that the good news that he is revealing to us in the words that St. Paul would later use are dunamis, the Greek term from where we get the word dynamite, meaning that Christ's message is inherently explosive. When the gospel is preached properly, it results in either radical acceptance or radical rejection. Christ wants, and the church wants, that everyone accept the gospel, of course. But the reality of sin in our fallen world means that we know that many people will reject the gospel. That they do so is not an invalidation of the message, or even of the messenger. Although, of course, in some cases, their rejection is the fault of the messenger. Christ does not want division in the family, but he recognizes that his message cuts so deeply that it will at times divide people even at the point of their most fundamental loyalties. Because our faith is not one value among others. It's not something that we hold alongside or in conjunction with other things. Rather, it is or should be our most fundamental commitments the foundation upon which all other things we hold dear in this life are built. To say that does not mean that we can't have faith in Christ and harmony in the family. Rather, it tells us that faith in Christ is the only sure foundation for family harmony and all other good things that we might experience. But the reality is that in a given group of people where some people have faith and others don't, conflict will inevitably emerge because people will be reading from fundamentally different playbooks. The takeaway from today's gospel reading should be a recognition on our part that a Christian life is the radical pursuit of truth, but not merely the pursuit of truth as an intellectual abstraction rather as conformity to God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Inevitably, a life lived in conformity to truth will bring us into conflict on some level with those who have other priorities. We would do well to ask ourselves, has the way I lived, I have lived my Christian faith ever earned me the scorn of others? Have I ever lost out in some way professionally or personally because I profess faith in Christ Jesus? Has my loyalty to the church and to her teachings ever brought me into conflict with those whose loyalties lie elsewhere? If our answer is a no to any of these questions, that might suggest that we aren't really living out our Christian faith with the priority and the passion that Christ demands of us. There is, of course, a danger in imagining that every conflict that we might have with family or with friends or co-workers or others who do not share our Christian faith is the result of our righteous oil failing to mix with their unrighteous water. Certainly, Christ is not urging us to self-righteousness, but he is giving us dynamite. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all of the house. 
If our, if our Christian faith is not causing friction and even fireworks with some of the people that we encounter in our lives, we ought to ask ourselves whether we are not the lukewarm believers that Christ spoke of in the book of Revelation, worthy only to be spit out of his mouth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.